Morning. Let's turn our attention to the Word of God now. Our Old Testament text, Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, one of the great Advent texts, where the Lord prophesies to His people that a child will be born who will be their Savior. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Loved ones, this is God's Word. Let's pay careful attention to it. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death Upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Our New Testament text then, Luke chapter 2. We'll read 8 through 21. Uh, We're going to be focusing on 8 through 12 in the sermon. But we'll read Luke 2, 8 through 21, just to get the whole context in view. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. 
But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together, loved ones. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your word about Christ. And once again, we ask that you would, by your spirit, show us Christ and speak to us of our Savior and and take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh that trust him and love him. We pray this for his dear sake. Amen. Well, if Christmas is about anything, uh, I guess it's about joy. That, that's really the heart of the Christmas season. And that's what we want from Christmas. That's what uh, all the anticipation's about. That's what the presents are about. The cookies, the, uh, the gingerbread houses, the lights. It's all about that experience of joy that we want to have. We hear this in our Christmas songs, don't we? From now on, our troubles will be miles away. That's the promise of Christmas to us, that, that this is going to be so good. As one commercial has it, this is going to be the best holiday ever, that all our troubles will be miles away. Well, for some of us, maybe that works, right? Maybe that promise of Christmas and the trappings that go with it work, and this really is the most wonderful time of the year. And, uh, uh, and, and the joy it brings is sweet, and it seems to last, but, but we know, don't we? Or if we don't, we will. It won't be reliable forever. It'll fade It'll evaporate. It's only a matter of time till that joy from Christmas goes away because the root problems haven't been addressed. Nothing's really changed at the root of things. And there might be others of you, perhaps, for whom you know, these promises of Christmas and the joys of Christmas just don't hold the, 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 uh, the glitter they used to. You want to find joy, but the trappings of Christmas just don't do that for you. They don't deliver on their promises. Whatever it is you've gone through, or are going through, or you're worried about going through, it's just too much for whatever it is that Christmas might hold out to you uh, by way of joy. Either way, wherever you're at and wherever, uh, you know, wherever we might be this morning, I think we recognize that the, there's something here that, that's true that we, that we long for. Joy. It's hardwired, isn't it, into our very essence Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, what's man's chief end? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We're made for joy. It's essential to our design. It's built into our design. And the problem, of course, is that we've been cut off from the source of our joy. Westminster Shorter Catechism says the source of our joy is God Himself. That's what Scripture tells us over and over, right? That we're made for God Himself to find our joy in Him. But we've been cut off from Him. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They are exiled from God's presence so they can't have what they were made to have. It's because of their sin. Because they rebelled against God, turned away from Him, made themselves their own gods. They've brought anger on themselves. And we all have, by our sin, cut ourselves off from the joy that we were made to have in God. 
we have become exiled from Him by our sin. There's a Christmas carol that puts this so well. Come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Christmas carol about mourning in lonely exile. The carol is referencing the Jewish exile in Babylon, of course, but um, the Jews, as, as they are there in the first century uh, at the time of Jesus' birth, they're still feeling the ache of exile. They, to them, they feel like they're still spiritually exiled in a sense. Yes, they've come back to the land. The exile in Babylon was some 600 years before, but where are all the, the glorious fulfillments that God promised them? I mean, God said that there would be a king again on the throne, that one of David's sons would reign on the throne forever. Where's that fulfillment? They're still under constant domination by foreign powers. They feel spiritually like they're still in exile. Well, that's their situation. Our situation is quite similar, isn't it? That we're in this spiritual exile from the Lord if we're not trusting in Christ. It's in this setting, then, this setting of exile from the joy we were made to have in God that the angels come in Luke chapter 2. With this message of joy. The angel says to the shepherds in verse 10, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. When he says that I bring you glad tidings, it's actually the same word in the Greek as preach the gospel. The angel is saying literally to the shepherds, I'm preaching the gospel to you. The good news of great joy. The joy is that the exile is ending. The Christ is coming. The promises are being fulfilled. And joy is here in Jesus. That was a message that those people needed, those shepherds needed, that first century Jews who felt in spiritual exile still waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled is a message they needed. It's a message we need. It's a message that we need also. We need to see the way to the Lord and the way to fullness of joy in our God. What is this message of joy? So the the angel says, I'm coming to preach the gospel to you, the gospel of great joy. Well, what is it? We see this especially in verse 11. And most of our focus this morning is going to be here on verse 11. And what this is, is a birth announcement. But it's a birth announcement unlike any other. Any birth announcement brings joy, doesn't it? But this one is unlike any other. This birth announcement, 2,000 years on, we're still celebrating still significant for us. What is it about this birth announcement, about this birth, that brings such joy? Five things. Five things about this birth announcement that bring joy to us, life-changing joy to us. Let's dive in. First thing, the angel announces to the shepherds that a Savior is born. That's the first thing. A Savior is born in verse 11. It's a startling statement. Um, it's very rare in Scripture to read of any Savior but God Himself. Uh, we, we see, you know, God raises up human heroes to rescue His people in the Old Testament. But that title, Savior, is very rarely given to anyone but God Himself. Over and over in Scripture, the emphasis is on God is the one who saves. 
His people. Listen to Isaiah 33, 22, for example. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Isaiah 35, verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Or Isaiah 46, verse 4. Even to your old age, I am He. And to gray gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Over and over the Scriptures say, God is the one who saves. Mary herself, in Luke chapter 1, just a few verses before our text this morning, sings, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The message of Scripture is clear. God is the one who saves. The one, then, that the angel is announcing here is one who is sent from God, intimately connected with God, perhaps even identified with God. It's like he's an extension of God, like this is God's arm being bared as he comes to rescue his people. And when the shepherds hear those words, this is the fulfillment of everything they've been waiting for for generations A shock of joy would have gone through them when they heard the Savior is here. God Himself come to deliver us. Loved ones, they felt that, I'm sure, as they heard the angel proclaim to them, a Savior's come. Do you feel that? That 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 great joy as, as as you hear that a Savior has been born, that God Himself has come for you to save you? And that He Himself has come and He is going to end the exile that we're in. Good news of great joy indeed. That's the first thing we see. The Savior is born. The second thing though, the angel announces to the shepherds not just that a Savior has been born, but he emphasizes a few things. And one of the things he emphasizes is that a Savior is born today. In verse 11 he says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. When he says this day, is he just giving historical detail? Like, that's just part of the birth announcement. We put the weight and the height and the the time stamp that the baby was born in our birth announcements, and the angel's doing something similar. The, the, The baby is born today, whatever day it might have been. I don't think that's just what's going on here. I think the angel is saying something more than that. The word today, this day, is really significant in Luke's Gospel. He doesn't use it as a throwaway word. Over in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to preach at a synagogue, and uh, it's kicking off his ministry, his preaching ministry, really. And he goes to the synagogue to preach the gospel, and he says to the people in the synagogue, after he's read the scroll of Isaiah, a passage from it, he says to them, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. What's he, what's he saying there? He's saying, the gospel is coming right now. This is the age of the new creation of the gospel. We see it not only there in Luke 4, we see it in Luke 19. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. And what does he say to Zacchaeus? Today, salvation has come to this house. Does he mean that Zacchaeus has been regenerate? Yes, perhaps that's part of what he means. But I think he means more than that. I think he means, Zacchaeus, I am here. The Savior is here now, today. 
Salvation has come. The salvation we've waited for has come. He says it also. Jesus says it again to the thief on the cross. Luke 23 says to the thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. I don't think he only means in a few hours we'll be in paradise in the presence of God together. I think he also means I am opening paradise right now by my death. It's here. Salvation's here today. That was something you could not have said prior to Jesus' birth. Do you understand that? <laughs> salvation was, you, you saw it in, in, in shadows and types. You had, you, had uh, you know, the salvation from, exi- uh, from, from Egypt, the Exodus. But all those things were pointing you forward to this salvation, the real thing, the real deal that was coming in Christ. And the angel is saying to the shepherds, it's today. Today's the day. Kids, you know probably what it's like to wait for Christmas. The anticipation, the excitement. You probably have a countdown going on. You probably know exactly how many days, maybe even the hours, till Christmas. You get to go and open the presents under the tree and uh, enjoy the day with your, your family. And it feels like it just, the, the, the month's going to last forever. And then finally, you wake up and you realize today is the day. Today's Christmas. That's something of what the angel is saying to the shepherds, isn't it? But multiply that by a billion. Today, Christ has come. The wait is over. The Savior is born. The uh, promise that God made back in Genesis 3.15, the proto-euangelion, the first gospel promise that God makes to, uh, to, to his people, that a, that a son will be born who will crush the serpent's head people of God have been waiting for this for thousands and thousands of years. And now, it's today. We see this not just in Luke's use of the word today here. We also uh, see it in the, uh, what, what happens when the angel appears to the shepherds. Do you see what happens? The glory of the Lord shines around the shepherds. What's the significance of this? I mean, the glory of the Lord, what would that have looked like? Probably a dazzling, blinding light shining around these shepherds. It's a sign of God's presence with His people, of His coming to dwell with His people. If you, if you think about the glory of the Lord shining in the Old Testament, where does that happen? Uh, the two biggest instances I can think of are uh, that when the tabernacle is completed, After the people come out of Egypt, they build the tabernacle according to God's instructions. And what happens when it's finished? The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. Happens again when Solomon constructs the temple. 2 Chronicles 7, the temple is finished. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. The glory of the Lord isn't something you saw every day. An invisible manifestation, right? That, that blinding brightness of His glory. That's not something you saw. This is something special and significant. It happens when the tabernacle is completed and the temple is completed. And now, here it is, in the hills of Bethlehem, on the night when Jesus has been born, this glory of the Lord shining around these shepherds. Today is the day. God is here to save His people. He has come to be with his people. What a, what a wonderful word of encouragement to those shepherds, to the people of Israel, as they felt their spiritual exile waiting for the fulfillment 
It's come. It's started. Yes, there's still a lot that we're waiting for, but it's begun. And what a wonderful encouragement to us, too. What a great source of joy for us. We live in the day of salvation. The time when Christ has come. He's, he's come. He's appeared. The day is still today that Christ is our Savior. And the glory of the Lord has appeared in Christ. He's come to save us. We belong to Him. We live in His kingdom. Whatever else, you know, whatever else we might see in this world of the kingdoms of earth that set themselves against the Lord's anointed, we belong to His kingdom, and His kingdom is advancing. That's the second thing here in the text that we see in this birth announcement that should fill us with joy. Christ has come. The Savior has come. He's come today. Third thing. Third aspect of this birth announcement this good news of great joy. The angel says to the shepherds, the Savior is born for you. He's given to you. He says it in verse 10, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. He says it again in verse 11, unto you is born this day a Savior. This is staggering, isn't it? I mean, he, it'd be surprising for him to say this perhaps but, but not quite as much if you were talking to the priests in the temple or if he's talking to Herod in the palace in Jerusalem. But, but the angel's not there. He's not at the meeting of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he's, not, he's not there in the temple where the priests are. He goes to shepherds. Dirty, smelly, insignificant, unimportant, nobodies. And tells them, a Savior is born for you, given to you. Of all the people that God could have chosen, He chose a handful of shepherds. The shepherds are terrified. Um, they hear this message, but they're, they're, they're terrified here as they, as they see the glory of God shining around them. I mean, they know their Bibles, I think. Uh, they would know that back in the Old Testament, when the glory of God fills the tabernacle and fills the temple, no one can go in, not even the holy, pure, clean priests. And here they are, dirty shepherds out in the fields, and the glory of the Lord is here. How are they going to live through this experience? But the, shep- the uh, angel says to them, a word of blessing. This is for you. His son is born for you. The angel preaches the gospel to them. He says, the Savior is for you, shepherds. It's not a Savior for one class of people. He's not a Savior of the rich, but not the poor. He's not a savior who discriminates between shepherds and kings, between priests and blue-collar night shift shepherds. He is the savior for all of them who will trust in him. He says uh, in the text here as well that he's he's come. The the savior is born for you. He's born for all the people, all those who will trust in him, no matter who they are, or what they've done, or what the world thinks of them, or how much on the outskirts of the outside they might be. He's their Savior. is born for them. Good news, right? Great joy for us, too. Because we're insignificant sinners under the wrath of God who need to hear that. A Savior is born for us. We didn't deserve this Savior. We did not merit this. This is the gracious gift of God for us. There's nothing in us that would, that would say, yeah, we deserve that gift of Christ given to us But he's here. He's ours. This is God's gift to his people, to his elect, to sinners whom he's set his love on. It's for you, loved ones, specifically. 
If you trust in Christ, He's given Christ to you. Is there a joy that can compete with that? Is there a gift that can stack up with that? The fourth aspect of this birth announcement of this Savior, this good news of great joy that we see is that this Savior is the Christ. We're still in verse 11 here. text says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. What's Christ? What's significant about that word, that name? Sometimes we think Christ is just Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. But it's not his last name. It's a title. Sort of like president or a king. And this is especially true in the Gospels. It's, it's a title referring to Jesus' office. It refers to what he's come to do, the role he's come to fulfill for his people. The word is the Greek word that means anointed one. It was the word that uh, the, the Jews used to translate the word Messiah, the Hebrew word for anointed one. What's the anointed one? Well, if you think back to the Old Testament again, uh, three types of people typically uh, would have been anointed. Uh, prophets, not as, not, it's not as, um, made, made as much of, a, of uh, in the Old Testament, but there were some prophets clearly who are anointed. Um, uh, there are priests who are anointed. And then especially, most of all, the kings are anointed. So prophets, priests, and kings set apart by God, anointing them. This is your special task. Here's your role for my sake. Especially the king. Especially David is called the anointed one. And so the anointed one par excellence, the the one that these little anointed ones, lowercase anointed ones, are all pointing forward to, is the anointed one, the Christ, who's going to come and fulfill all the promises that God made to his people. He's going to be the great and final Savior and King who comes, saves his people. So again, the angel announces to the shepherds, the Christ is here, the anointed one, the king that you've been waiting for is here to save his people. Great announcement, glorious news to them. But there's something shocking about this arrival of the Christ, the king, isn't there? He's been born in the most unlikely of places. What does the shepherd tell the, excuse me, what does the angel say to the shepherd in verse 12? Where will you find this Christ? the long-expected king who's come to save his people. Where will he be? Well, in a manger. In the animal's feeding trough. This is unthinkable, isn't it? The Messiah born in poverty, the Christ born in total abject humility. But not too surprising. The Old Testament tells us this too, doesn't it? Right? What do we see in David's own life? The Lord's anointed in the Old Testament, most of all, David. What does he go through? He goes through being hounded and hunted and pursued and living in the wilderness. So there is this expectation, too, that Christ would be one and he would come in humility. We see it in Isaiah, the suffering servant. And then we see this in Jesus' life, that, that he comes, yes, as the Christ, but he comes as the Christ who comes to serve. He comes as the king who gets down on his knees in John 13, puts on a servant's clothes and does a servant's job. He comes to suffer. This is what the Christ came to do. This is how he came to save. How he came to rule. First, by getting low, getting down on his knees, and dying for his people to bring them out of their spiritual exile, to satisfy the wrath of God. Loved ones, again, this is good news of great joy. 
isn't it? Where would you be right now if there were no Christ? What happiness would you have without Christ? What joy and hope would you have right now without Christ? If this announcement weren't here, if Christ hadn't come, you would be in your sin all by yourself. You'd be in your guilt all by yourself. We would be, uh, uh, we would be facing the wrath of God. We'd be facing the devil and the powers of darkness totally on our own without Christ. A world without Christ is like Noah's flood without Noah's ark. There's nowhere to go. It's just judgment. Christ has come, though. What joy that should give us, loved ones. He's come and he's come to lay down his life to save us and to serve us, to bless us, and to bring us to his Father in joy. That's the fourth thing the angel tells the shepherds. This Savior who is born today for you is the Christ. Then he says, fifth thing, final thing. The Savior is the Lord. Verse 11, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Lord uh, was a term in those days that could use sort of like our sir as a term of respect. And sometimes perhaps that's more the sense. But in, right here, the angel is saying to the shepherds is not just that this is a term of respect for Christ. He is saying this one is the Lord identifying him with God. In the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was the common Bible in a Jewish home in that day, if they had them, uh, they wouldn't have them in their homes, they'd have them in the synagogues. But uh, the, the common translation they used of the Scriptures was a Greek one of the Old Testament, and the word for Yahweh, the covenant name of God, was Lord, kurios. And that's the same word that the New Testament applies to Jesus. He is the Lord. The point here that the angel is making, this Christ isn't just another human hero. Yes, he's the Messiah, born of David's line, born of a woman, but he's also God himself, come in the flesh. He is God and man together. As Paul writes in Colossians 2.9, in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is God himself come to save his people, as we saw already with that term Savior that was used. This doesn't just uh, make a theological point for us, though. It also reminds us that this one, this Christ who's come to save us, is the Lord to whom we must submit. Yes, he's come to save us from our sins. He's come to bring us into God's presence, out of exile, give us joy. But we have to bow to him. We have to surrender ourselves completely and totally to him. You can't split Christ. You can't have half of Christ, the Savior, without the Lord. No, he's both together, Savior and Lord, and we must bow to him as Lord, even as we receive his gift of salvation for us. And it's in this, loved ones, it's in having him as our Savior and submitting ourselves to him as our Lord that we find joy that joy which, which is so elusive in so many other places, right? We find here the way to God and the way to find joy in the fellowship and presence of God. And what can threaten us if we are in Christ? And what can steal our joy from us if we are in Christ? The shepherds are rejoicing here because the angel has told them that the exile is over. 
They have Christ, the Lord, now. Now the shepherds, they're rejoicing, but in a few days they're going to go back to shepherding. They're going to have the same backaches and the same troublesome sheep, and their parents are still going to be getting older, and uh, the weather still won't be ideal. And of course, all the other things, the common miseries of this life. They're, the shepherds, right, they hear this glorious announcement of joy. Does it change things? Does it, does it change things for them? Does it, you know, it seems like life goes on much the same after hearing this message. And yet, nothing's the same after this, is it? Christ has come, their Savior, for them. So everything else they're going to go through now, they're going to go through as those who are saved by Christ, trusting in Christ, with the joy that brings. Loved ones, won't you make Christ your joy and commit yourself to Him and love Him and and bow before Him? He offers a joy that runs deeper and tastes far sweeter than any joy that this world offers. It's the joy of coming home It's better than getting back to Eden. It's the joy of going into God's presence. There's nothing that can compete with that. Nothing that can take it away either. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Christ and the joy he brings. We pray we would know him, love him, own him, bow to him. We pray it for his dear sake. Amen.